Good morning and welcome to Shouts of Grace. This morning we are continuing our study through the book of Philippians, and we're going to be focusing in specifically today on verse 19, but we're going to be looking at the topic of how to have deliverance from trials, how to have deliverance from trials. And this is a very important topic because it has been stated, and and rightly so, that there are three places that you can be in life. One is just entering a trial. The other is in the heat of the trial or in the midst of a trial. And the third one is, is just exiting a trial. You see, the reality of it is, is because we live in a sin-cursed world, you are going to go through trials in your life, and you're going to be going through trials constantly. Some are trials that are good, and they end up building you up. You think of uh, a an athlete who's going and training uh, for the the Olympics, and uh, we understand that they put their body through grueling trials in order to be ready for what they need to be, in order to be fit for the competition. And the reality of it is, is that some trials are good for us because hard is not always bad. Difficult is not always bad. Sometimes it's just difficult. Sometimes it's just hard in your life. But some of them, of course, are bad trials that you go through. Sometimes it is uh, that idea of um, just plain the curse of sin uh, that comes into this world, and sometimes it's difficult. And so I think it is important that we look at this idea of how to have deliverance from trials. Uh, but let's go ahead and let's read Philippians chapter 1, and it says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ." Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with, with the affection of Jesus Christ. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment, that you may approve the things which are excellent, and that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that is become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached? And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now Christ also will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
But if I live in the flesh, this will mean the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified of your adversaries, which to them is proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and here, and now here, that is in me. We see here the focus today is going to be on verse 19, but I'm going to read verses 19 through 21, and it says this, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We see here that the Apostle Paul is talking about deliverance, his deliverance, and his deliverance from the trial that was at hand, which of course was that he was under house arrest. He's going and saying that this will turn out. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I hope that you can say that in your life, whatever trial you're going through, that you can boldly proclaim, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. We want to have deliverance from trials, and, and in this chapter, there is a blueprint to seeing how you can be delivered from trials. And the first thing that we see that brings deliverance from trials is that deliverance from trials, um, deliverance from trials requires an attitude set on Christ. Deliverance from trials requires an attitude set on Christ. And you can see this in verses 20 and 21 through the Apostle Paul. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer for the supplication of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Then he says, According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, uh, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. His focus was on Christ, on glorifying and magnifying Christ. And, and we looked at this yesterday just a little bit when we looked at how he was, he, he took the trial, this, this wrongful imprisonment that he was in, and he put a gospel focus on this where he shared the gospel with the whole palace guard. I mean, this is incredible. There is no doubt that the Apostle Paul, his eyes are not on his circumstances that are around him but his eyes are set on Jesus Christ. G.K. Chesterton, uh, to paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, he said something to the effect of, the skeptic has their focal point on the circumstances and Christ in the peripheral. But the Christian is to have Christ in the focal point in their circumstances in the peripheral. 
We understand that you are going to realize and recognize and see what is going on around you. I understand that, and you should see those things. But those things that are happening around you should not be your heart's eye. It should not be your focal point. What should be your focal point is that your eyes should be set on Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul had a Christ-centeredness. Now, here's the problem. Many people today have a self-centeredness instead of a Christ-centeredness, and self-centeredness ensures defeat in the midst of every trial. Self-centeredness ensures defeat in the midst of every trial. You know, why are so many people in our culture today defeated by trials and their poor circumstances? Why, why is that? Well, it's because of their self-centeredness. I really believe that. You know, one study in, found in 2021 the, uh, that 32.8% of Americans suffered from depression. This is, you know, nearly a third or basically a third, one in three Americans suffer from depression. Now, I only use this as a thermometer and proof of a symptom of people who have been defeated by trials instead of being delivered from them. If, if you identify, if you go and you say, I'm in the midst of depression, I can tell you that you have not been delivered from your trial. You're in the midst of it, and you're succumbing to your trial if you're going and pro proclaiming that, you're, uh, that, that you have uh, depression. Now, here's the thing. If you're listening to this, I'm not saying this to, to, to kick you while you're down. I'm saying this to say, look up and specifically look at Christ, and I'm reaching a hand out to you to go and to help you out because I don't want to see you defeated by your trials and your circumstances. See, one in three American adults are losing or have lost the battle with the trial that they're currently going through. And I believe this has much to do with the self-centeredness and selfishness of our culture. You see, our culture is all about me today. Just let me ask the question. What is the favorite type of picture today? It's not the portrait. It's the selfie. My goodness, some of social media is designed specifically just for selfies. You know, you can add filters to make yourself look unrealistically good but, you know, you still have to look at yourself in the mirror even after that. No wonder you get depressed, you know. Everybody thinks that you're this image, and the reality of it is is that it's not true. You see, you, you will never have victory or deliverance from a trial by focusing on yourself. You will never do that. And I'm not coming out here and just trying to say that selfies are bad. I've taken selfies and things like that. Sometimes that's kind of fun. But the reality of it is is that our culture has an infatuation. We are saturated with a selfie culture, with a self-centeredness. And it's wrong. You see, what happens when you focus on yourself in the midst of a trial? You say, oh, woe is me. Why me? But you see, the Apostle Paul didn't focus on himself. Even though he was unjustly put in jail, he focused on Christ in the furtherance of the gospel. You see, you should be aware of your trial, but you should be focused in on God. Your focal point needs to be on Christ, and your circumstances need to be in your peripheral. And if you are in your focal point, 
let me tell you, you're in for a world of trouble. The second thing uh, that you need in order to have deliverance from trials is that you need to have humility. Deliverance from trials requires humility. In Philippians 1.19, it says this, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And then it says, through your prayer, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus of Christ, of Jesus Christ. You see, tests of pride and humility, this is important to understand. The first test of pride is pretty simple. How long did it take you to get on your knees and to pray about it? You know, when you choose to delay instead of pray, it only proves that you're prideful. What are you saying with your actions? I can get through this without God when you choose not to pray. That's what you're saying. I can get through this without God. You know, I don't need God. I don't need to rely upon God. That's what you're saying when you choose not to pray. See, and let me be clear. In case you didn't know this, you cannot get through it without God. Do you want to know why people are so depressed in the United States? It is because they're selfish and prideful, and they have to come to the realization that they aren't the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's the reality of it. They spend their time focusing in on themselves, and then the problem is, is that they know who they are. That's the problem. They look at themselves in the mirror. They know who they are and that they're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, every person, of course, has intrinsic value, but this value is tied to the image that is stamped on you, not by your greatness. See, the value that you have is because you, being an image bearer of God, can reflect your creator in ways that the rest of creation cannot. You're a three in one. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. You, uh, and in that, you reflect a triune God, and uh, your spirit is in an eternal relationship with God, or can be in an eternal relationship with God. Think about this. The intrinsic value that you have is not because you're great. It's because you reflect God. That's why you have value. God placed that value on you. The second test of pride, though, is, is in your trials. Are you willing to ask for others to pray? You see, it takes humility to ask others to pray for you. Now, don't get me wrong. There is fake humility. And sometimes people can use prayer request time to be self-centered. I mean, uh, all, I mean, that's that we've all probably seen that happen before, but it is humbling to ask others to pray on your behalf, to intercede for you, to lean on others in your time of need, to go and to say, look, can you bear me up? in your prayer? Can you bear me up? Can you intercede for me? Can you go before God for me and pray for me? So you need to understand that God's order is for us to live with one another. That's why he, he goes and he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he goes and he makes Eve and he puts us uh, alongside one another. He puts us in, in, a, uh, in a church. You see, he goes and, and he does this because he wants us to live in community with one another. He has this for us. See, there is this, what I would say, what I call is the Jesus and me heresy. There, there are 
There are individual aspects to Christianity. Yes, you are saved personally. Uh, you will personally be held accountable to Christ. But even in creation, we see that an individual is not sufficient. Once again, God looked at Adam and he said, it's not good for a man to be alone. Now, I know some of you might be sitting here thinking, I'm not alone. It's Jesus and me. Well, explain this one to me. When God said this, it was before sin. Adam was literally walking and talking with God in the garden. And he could have said, it's Jesus and me. Adam could have said that. And he could have meant it more intimately than you could mean it. And yet God saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone. And so he created Eve and he created a family that was to go to create more families. And what is the church? The church is a family of families. You see, while many err in today's day and age on the side of communism, and they remove the individual from the equation, others do err on the side of radical individualism. And both of these errors are outside of God's design and order. And the principle that I want us to see here in the text is that we need each other to be delivered from trials. And by this, it means that you need to humble yourself and be praying in unity with others for your deliverance from the trial. This is important. This is important. In order to get deliverance from your trials, you must have humility. You need to go to God. How long did it take you to go to God to pray in the midst of your trial? And you need to go to God with those whom he has placed in your life. Humble yourself, ask others to pray for you. The third thing that we see in order to have deliverance from trials, and I'll go through this quickly, is that you need the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer in the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So therefore, in order to get the, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, in order to go and to be in unity with Jesus Christ, of course, this means we need the Holy Spirit in our life. And this means you need to get rid of what is between you and Jesus or what hinders you from getting next to Jesus. And it says this in Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, some of you who are listening today, will not be delivered from trials because you love sin and you refuse to deal with it. Lay aside the weight and the sin that easily ensnares you. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord's not going to hear you. You're not going to have that supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Confess your sins. Repent of it. Consider chastisement when it comes into your life. Now, you need to understand this. It is so important to be near Christ. In fact, it tells us in John 15 that you need to abide with Christ. 
abide with him. In order to get delivered from trials, you need you need to be getting the supply of the Spirit of Christ. You need to be near Christ. You need to actually abide in him. So the question is, is how is your relationship with Christ? Are you walking daily by your Savior's side? Are you neglecting his word? Are you neglecting prayer? Are you neglecting his body? Well, if your answer is yes to those things, well, no wonder the trial has you defeated because without him, you can do nothing. When was the last time you poured your heart out before God? When was the last time you said to God that I'm going to pray and praise you until I'm assured of your blessing in my life? If you want deliverance from trials, you need to be Christ-centered. You need to have humility in your life. And you need to have a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, what does deliverance look like? Well, it could look like a removal from the trial, where you're removed from the trial. That's, that's an awesome one. That's the one we all want. It also could look another way. It could be that God gives you extra grace to endure the trial, to get through that trial in that season, in that time. That's awesome when God gives more grace. When God gives grace to get through it, that is deliverance. That is being delivered. The third way, of course, that you could be, that you could get free of the trial is mentioned here in Philippians 1. In verses 21 through 23, it says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You see, the reality of it is, is that someday we will be totally delivered from our trials, and that is when we are next to our Savior's side, when we leave this world, when He calls us home, and that is the best deliverance ultimately. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here, for to me to live is Christ. But hey, if I die, that's gain. That's even better. That's even better. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, some people go and take this to, to, to really go and to play this up and to just say, oh, woe is me and kind of like this world is, is tough and God doesn't deliver from trials in this world. And, and he does. He really does deliver from trials in this world. But as the Christian, we need to remember it's okay if you get threatened with heaven. It's okay. It's okay if you get threatened with heaven. And so today, I do want to just encourage you that there is deliverance from trials. You can be removed completely from, from your trial where, where God just takes the trial out of your life, just completely takes it away. He can be also that he gives you extra grace where he just gives you something special at that point of time in your life where you can just go through and endure that trial. And ultimately, one day we will be completely delivered from our trials when we go to be by our Savior's side. But we need three important ingredients one is that you got to get your eyes off your circumstances, get your eyes away from yourself, get your eyes pointed towards Christ, onto Christ, focused on Christ. Two, you got to humble yourself. You got to go and pray to God and ask him to help. You have not because you ask not. The second thing about being humble is that you got to go and ask others to pray for you. God put people in your life. He puts you there. And the third thing, is that you need a supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You need to get close to God. 
If you don't have that, you're not going to get through the trial. Well, thank you for listening today. And remember Joshua 1, 8, 9, as we depart, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Sometimes he leaves us waiting for his hand to move. Oh, but even in darkness, we hold to the promise. There's nothing we can't overcome. So that war you've been fighting will end in God's timing. Sing like the battle's been won. Then you feel it, the song that is rising. Then you can't help but let it out. If you're trusting in faith, even now. is all